Hey, would you guys give yourselves, give each other a round of applause for... I'm just so proud of you guys for the way that together we're serving our community. You know, there's so much hurt in the world right now. And I don't know if you feel this way, but to me there's this odd uh, tension that it's the holidays and it's, you know, a time to be merry and bright. And yet so many people are walking through so much pain right now. Uh, sickness and cancer and broken relationships. And I cannot tell you guys how much it means to me, to our elders, to our staff, uh, to see all of you coming together to serve our community and really be a light of hope and the light of the good news of Jesus in the darkness that so many people are walking through right now. Well, maybe you relate to that a little bit, that there's merry and bright happening simultaneously with pain and difficulty. We're kicking off this series today called Merry and Bright, and we're really dealing with that tension. How do you be merry and bright if you're going through difficulty? Uh, For example, if you're an Ohio State football fan and you just got demolished by your big rival, the University of Michigan, over Thanksgiving weekend, I mean, how do you possibly be merry and bright? I, I don't know. Uh, But as a longtime Michigan fan, I will tell you this, you'll get through the defeat. Because as a Michigan fan, I've been through a lot more defeats than victories in the Ohio State rivalry. Now, if you're watching this or you're here and you're like, what is he talking about? In the Midwest, in the Big Ten, Ohio State, University of Michigan, it's a big rivalry game. Happens every year uh, after Thanksgiving. It's usually the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I grew up in Michigan. Mel, my wife, grew up in Ohio. And Pretty much every year since we met, Ohio State has dominated the University of Michigan to the extent that I I hardly even get my hopes up anymore. But this year, the drought ended. (laughs) University of Michigan won. And then, of course, last night, right here in Indianapolis, won the Big Ten Championship uh, by defeating Iowa. These are some good things in our world. Yeah, we can celebrate them. And by the way, if you're an Ohio State fan or an Iowa fan, we love you. You're made in the image of God. You're always welcomed here, (laughs) even though you're wrong about which team you cheer for. (laughs) But here's the thing. We go through this month of December, and it is this mix of emotions. Uh, Just within our church family, there will be people today who give birth to babies, and there will be people who find out about medical diagnosis that they don't want. I mean, there's ups and downs. In fact, if you think of these arrows behind me, I just want you to picture this as a visual, because this has been my life in the last week and a half, and I'm guessing you can relate. If you think of the green up arrows as good things that happen, and the red down arrows as bad things that happen, here's just some of that in my life, and I'm sure you can relate to this. Uh, For our family, uh, in early October, maybe it was late October, it's all a blur now, Mel got COVID, and it it really, really hit her a lot harder than we thought it would. And then shortly after fall break, the kids got it. And so that was just a lot of red down arrows for us. And then uh, for Thanksgiving, we got to go up to Michigan to see my parents, which was great. I got to go to my childhood home. I got to see my mom and dad. And then as I'm hanging out with my mom and dad, they're in their mid-70s now, they're telling me about all these friends of theirs, peers, who were moms and dads when I was growing up. You know, I was a kid, and they were the big, strong adults. And the number of them who've passed away in the last year, 
either from COVID or from cancer. It's big red down arrow of just like the reality of death and sickness. It's hanging out with my oldest brother and uh, two of my nephews. One is 18. His name is Matthew. And Matthew has muscular dystrophy. So he's been in a wheelchair for most of his life. Uh, and uh, the diagnosis of muscular dystrophy is, is not a good one because all the muscles in your body slowly stop working. But Matthew's so bright mentally. We got to play Monopoly with him, and he just demolished us all at Monopoly. He's super smart. He's got this great heart. And I just, my heart for my brother, watching him raise that son with that medical condition. And then we watch the football game and we win. And then I hear about my other nephew and hang out with him. And he's perfectly healthy. And he's playing basketball for his college basketball team. And he's uh, got an accounting internship coming up. And his career's kind of shaping up. And then I put my kids to bed at night. And I realize they're healthy and they're strong. And I'm just so grateful. And then I get a text message from a friend out west who has been battling cancer for a long time and that it's taken a turn for the worse. And it's just these ups and these downs, right? And, and I share all of that because I'm guessing that you've got a lot of up and down arrows in your life as well. I'm guessing you can relate to this feeling of some good things happening and bad things happening at the same time. Would the phrase, a mix of emotions, describe your life right now? Do you have highs and lows here in the month of December? And if you're anything like me and Mal, you know, we put up the Christmas decorations and make hot chocolate for the kids and maybe watch some Hallmark movies or favorite Christmas movies, doing everything we can to experience merry and bright. And yet simultaneously, there are discouraging and difficult things happening. And so here's what I'd like to figure out. Maybe you can relate. When you're in a mix of emotions... How can you be merry and bright? When there's difficult things happening, discouraging things happening, how can you be merry and bright? Uh, if I could answer that for you today, uh, if I could answer it not just in some human way, but from the word of God and with the power of God, would you want to know the answer to that? Uh, or put another way, when you can't see the way forward in life, it's just darkness and emotions are all over and you can't see the way forward. What if you could learn how to experience God in the midst of that, in the lowest lows of that? Well, that's what we're going to be learning here each weekend in December in this series, Merry and Bright. We're kind of breaking through the facade that you can have the Hallmark movie on and all the decorations up in the hot chocolate and still be dealing with really difficult stuff. But God is still working, and God wants you to experience him like never before. In fact, the very first Christmas begins with people just like you and me who were going through a mix of emotions, a lot of up arrows and a lot of down arrows. In fact, that's how it starts in Luke chapter 1, where we're going to find the answer to this question, how can you experience merry and bright in the midst of everything you're going through right now? We're told in verse 5 of Luke 1 that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Now we're going to look into Zechariah's life because he's got a lot of down arrows. But one of those down arrows is right there. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, this was not an easy time 
for people who believed the word of God and were worshiping God. At this time, the temple was everything for them, and the temple was owned by this pagan king, Herod. They were like having to lease their home, more or less. They weren't in charge of their own fate or their own country. But in the midst of it, there's this godly priest named Zechariah. And his wife, Elizabeth, also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. These next two verses are going to sound to some of you almost like a contradiction. Because God's going to say on the one hand, they were upright in God's sight. God loved them so much. And then in the next verse, we're going to see, and their lifelong desire was completely unmet and unfulfilled. And I want to encourage you today that when you have unmet desires, when you have difficulty in your life, it doesn't mean that God doesn't see you. And it doesn't mean that he isn't pleased with you. He was pleased with Zechariah and Elizabeth, but they lived in a broken world. In fact, verse 7 says they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Now, some of us have dealt with infertility in different ways, and it is an emotionally difficult thing to go through. And you add on top of that that in this culture at this time, for a man, it was his honor to have sons and to have heirs and to multiply his family. That's just the way the culture was. That's how boys were raised. Like, you're going to have a bunch of kids someday. You're going to be a great patriarch. And that's how girls were raised. Like, you're going to be a mother to many, many people. Because they're all following this guy Abraham, right? The father of many nations. And that's just part of their culture. So when Zechariah and Elizabeth got married, probably as teenagers in that culture, they're thinking, great. We're going to have our dream life, and we're going to have a bunch of kids, and this is going to be awesome. And then months pass, and years pass, and they're not able to conceive. And then the years turn into decades. And as the decades continue to roll by, their bodies begin aging. And eventually their bodies age in such a way that they know that this is a dream that has died. This is a dream that's impossible. They're childless, they're not able to conceive, and now they're very old. And so we find Zechariah and Elizabeth, two faithful servants of God, and their greatest desire in life is unfulfilled, not just after a few months or years, but after decades. Now here's what Zechariah's arrows probably looked like going into this first Christmas. Unable to conceive, old, dreams that have died. You say, John, what's the green up arrow? Well, it's the next verse. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot. That's where we get the word lottery. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible, it's historically accurate, but it also speaks to our hearts. It guides us in life. And as you study it, there's always more in there. So I have preached this chapter probably 10 times. Something I learned that I never knew before until studying for this message is that Zechariah would have been one of about 20,000 priests in Jerusalem at this time. These 20,000, they were divided up into about a dozen different groups. So he was one of about 2,000 in his group. And when your group was on duty, you would cast lots for which job do you get? 
You know, are, are you the person getting the lamb ready for the sacrifice? Or will the job that everyone wanted, that you trained for from childhood, was to actually go into the temple of the Lord? To go into that place where no one else gets to go and to burn the incense. And so there's a very good chance that this is the only time in Zechariah's life that he got that particular straw. That he won that lottery, if you will. So that, that's an up arrow. It's not like he was going in there doing that every single day. Well, the time came, verse 10, for the burning of the incense. And Luke kind of sets the scene for us here. All the assembled worshipers are praying outside. So for Zechariah, even though he's gone through a lot of loss in life and a lot of broken dreams, in this moment, it's kind of like his football team is winning the game. Hopefully that's not sacrilegious, but this is a like, great moment for him. I don't know if you've ever been uh, in a room by yourself working, especially if you have headphones on, this can happen, and someone walks in and it startles you. Uh, this happened to Mel and me one day. She was at home vacuuming. The kids were at school, and I stopped by the house to pick something up. She didn't know I was stopping by. She had her headphones on, listening to an audio book or music or something, and I see her there vacuuming, and I realize, like, oh, man, if she realizes I'm in here, it's just going to frighten her. And I know what you're thinking that I would prank her, but I didn't. I was like, I was literally like, how do I let her know I'm here without scaring her? And I kept trying to figure out how. And so I finally like kind of tiptoe up. It still scared her. It still startled her. Because when you think you're all alone, and then all of a sudden you realize I'm not alone, it's frightening. And this is what happens to Zechariah in verse 11. Because now he's been selected for this important duty. No one else is allowed in this room. I mean, it is just him and God. And he's in there, and all of a sudden, there's this other being. An angel of the Lord appears to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled. He was gripped with fear, probably on two levels. First, whoa, I'm not alone. Secondly, whoa, I mean, I've never seen an angel before like this. These are majestic, muscular, spiritually muscular beings. I mean, this... This must have been, every time the angels appear, they say, don't be afraid. So they, they must be pretty awe-inspiring. Verse 13, the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, a detail we don't know is, did Zechariah, once he and Elizabeth passed an age where they knew biologically they couldn't have kids, had they stopped praying? We don't know. Whether this is a prayer from 15 years ago, or 15 seconds ago, we don't know. But in either case, God has heard Zechariah's prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you're to call him John. But here's the thing. God had a delay in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life because their son wasn't just going to be any ordinary boy. We're told in the next verse, he will be a joy and a delight to you. But his purpose on earth is far bigger than bringing joy to you, Zechariah. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. So think about this. For this godly man who has served God through difficulty to now be told, you're going to miraculously have a child, but this child is going to draw the entire nation to God. Verse 17, he will go on before the Messiah. 
For 400 years, all the people of Israel, they've been waiting for the Messiah. Zechariah and Elizabeth, from the time they were kids, everything's about the Messiah. Now he gets told, you're going to miraculously have a child, and this boy will grow up to be a man who will pave the way for the Messiah. He's going to do this in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient, he'll turn to the wisdom of the righteous. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So now, no exaggeration, Zechariah has moved from old, broken dreams, dead dreams, I'm just going to be faithful, to probably the most amazing moment of his life. Giant green arrow, right? Like, boom, you know? This is awesome for Zechariah. As the angel explains, your son's going to build a movement of people and hand it off to the Messiah, who will be the most influential man in history and almighty God on earth. That big green arrow came after years, decades of mixed emotions. And in fact, if you study the rest of Luke 1, you'll see that Zechariah, you know, he struggles to believe it in the moment. He has a few little red down arrows even then. But this big breakthrough really answers our question of what can you do when you're in the mix of emotions? How do you experience God in the middle of it? And it's this, when you're in a mix of emotions, keep serving God faithfully. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they model this. I mean, for decades, they stayed faithful to each other in their marriage, even when they were let down by each other. They stayed faithful to the house of God. They stayed faithful to the work of God. And whether their emotions were up or down, they stayed faithful. And even though they were imperfect and had moments of disbelief, the track record of their life is that they kept believing the promises of God. They kept praying to God. That's why the angel said, God has heard your prayers. I don't know if you noticed this, but the breakthrough that Zechariah happens, happens while he's serving. It didn't happen like he wasn't like, oh, I've just been through so much. I've got to get away on a retreat by myself. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But it happened while he was serving in the middle of the people of God. I wonder in your mix of emotions, are you still serving? Do you have a servant's heart in your home, in your workplace, in the church? And are you still praying? Uh, praying the way Zechariah and Elizabeth did where you say, God, this desire is unmet. This dream is unfulfilled. And I don't know how you're going to bring it all together, but I've just got to tell you, this is the desire of my heart. I still long for a son, even in my old age. You know, God often surprises us when we're just serving faithfully. Uh, one of the big differences between uh, our culture right now and being a follower of Jesus is this. Uh, one of the unspoken messages of our culture is do whatever you feel like and let your feelings decide who you'll be and what you'll do. Following Jesus is different. Following Jesus says, you're, we do what we do not based on how we feel because our feelings are fickle. They're up and down. They're unpredictable. They're unreliable. But we do what we do based on a view that there is a creator of the universe who orchestrates everything and we obey him and serve him no matter how we feel and we trust that he then works everything out. So the beauty of this 
People might say, well, this sounds more free. The irony is this is more free. Because when you're over here, you're free even on a day that you feel down to know that everything's okay. Whereas over here, if I feel down, well, I am my feelings. So what do I even do? And so part of being a follower of Jesus and a person of God is obeying God and serving God regardless of how we feel about it. It's easy to make our feelings our God or our idol. And that actually ends up destroying us. It leads to addiction. It leads to a much smaller life. Whereas a life that says there's a God who's bigger than my feelings, even me made in the image of God, I'm bigger than my feelings. So my feelings matter and I'm in tune with them, but I'm not a slave to them. And that's why we serve whether we feel like it or not in our homes and in our relationships. And God often surprises us when we're serving. A lot of people, there's so many stories here in our church family of people who start serving in a small group. Or maybe just in their home, they take a servant's mentality of, I'm folding this laundry and doing these dishes, not because I have to, but because I'm going to be a servant, because I'm serving God. And that when we just serve faithfully, God surprises us. It doesn't mean it's all up green arrows, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But in the mix of emotions, he provides these breakthroughs. He surprises us when we're faithfully serving. I'll show you an example of that in a sister of ours, Karen Spence who's been serving her and her husband, Keith, both in many ways for many years. And recently, God surprised Karen as she was serving him here. Go ahead and take a look. I was volunteering at the front desk once a week, and um, Valerie Seip was uh, working the front desk then, and she needed some help. Um, well, that was one of the things that um, both um, my husband, Keith, and I um, liked about this church was that um, there were so many different ways that you can get involved. Not knowing there's all different kinds of um, jobs involved with baptism, so I just said, just tell me what you want me to do. So I do all those roles, but the one I like the best is um, when they come out of the baptismal, handing them the towel, and um, I might get emotional on this. Before I retired, I was a nurse for 40 years. And um, I did many different things in those 40 years. One of the things I did was worked in labor and delivery in a small hospital in Canada. When a baby was born, often it was my job um, to hold the blanket for the doctor or the surgeon to put the baby into. And then he would tend to the mother and I would tend to the baby. And so uh, the very first time I handed someone a towel, um, God gave me that blessing of saying, I've given you the blessing of being there when someone's born. Now I've given you the blessing of being there when someone's been born again. So that really um, was very impactful to me. And just to be able to join in with someone, strangers, you know, that you don't know, um, it's, it's, it's wonderful, <laughs> it's wonderful. The big part of that is I volunteered to help out. I didn't realize that I was gonna get the blessing, you know, and that's, that's the joy of, of volunteering. I love that story. Thank you, Karen, for just being faithful and obedient. 
I love it because it's a really gentle illustration. It's a really real illustration. It doesn't mean that there's not bad days and hard times and times that you show up early or aren't appreciated, but you do it as unto the Lord, and then he kind of whispers to you as you do it, and there's these times where he surprises you. In Ephesians 6, God says this to followers of Jesus, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. This is an important graduation in your spiritual maturity uh, because some of you, depending on personality, you love serving people, and that's good. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's good. But if you serve out of the motivation of it being for the people, it's like a fuel tank, and you will run out of that fuel eventually because people will at times be unappreciative, as parents know. <laughs> People will at times take you for granted. People will at times wrong you, betray you, hurt you. And if you're doing it for the people, well, then when that happens, how do you keep going? But if you're doing it not for the people, you're doing it for Almighty God. You're loving the people because you love him. You're serving the people because you serve him. And you can apply this in your marriage. When you're going through a season in your marriage where you feel like, Man, I'm working on this. I'm trying to be the best partner I can be, but my spouse, like, they just, they don't deserve this. They don't, well, if you're only doing it for them, you're going to run out in that season. But if you're saying, okay, I serve Almighty God, regardless of my feelings, he placed me in this marriage. I made a covenant before him and others, and this other person's a follower of Jesus, and even though they're imperfect, I'm going to, I'm going to keep serving them because I'm actually serving the Lord. You can apply this in your workplace when your boss is dishonest or your boss doesn't appreciate you or overlooks the work you've done. And if you were only doing it for your boss, that would make you quit. But if you know, I'm actually here because God created me from eternity past. He has given me skills and gifts and a career path that he has for me. And I'm doing this for him. Then even if the people around me don't appreciate it, I'm going to keep doing it. You can do this as a parent. You can do this as a spouse. You can do this as an employee. And like you saw with Karen's story, we can do this in the body of Christ. Serving here on weekends, serving in your small group. How do you handle the mix of emotions? You just keep being faithful through it. Faithful to God, faithful to serve his people. Keep praying, keep believing, keep being faithful. In fact, I'd put it this way. Keep serving and believing because you never know what God is preparing you for. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they believed the promises of God and they were faithful to God, but I would guess that they never would have imagined that when they were too old to have kids, an angel would show up and say, you're going to miraculously have a son. He's going to pretty much be best friends with the Messiah and prepare the way for the Messiah. But they were being prepared. I think of my kids when I see them doing the right thing and they're in a group of friends and everyone's doing the right thing. I'm like, that's awesome. But when I see them choosing to do the right thing and it's unpopular and they're by themselves and it's hard and they have to fight through the emotions to choose the right thing as a dad, those are the moments that I'm the most proud. And I love that verse that it said that Zechariah and Elizabeth they were like great in the sight of God. He'd been watching them through all their struggles. All that time of preparation, he'd been watching their faithfulness, and he's watching you. He sees you. 
in the difficulty. Keep serving. Keep believing. I want to give you a really uh, practical example of what can be lost when we stop believing or stop serving. And here's what I mean. God's love for you is unconditional. Okay, if I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, God, that's it. I'm done being a pastor. It's just too hard. I'm just going to, you know, he still loves me, but I would miss out on getting to be part of what he's doing. Does that make sense? And it's the same with you. God loves you unconditionally. You don't serve and believe to earn your salvation or earn God's favor. But it's as you serve through the difficult times and you believe the promises when they seem unbelievable, that's what, what kind of gets you in on the action, if you will. And here's an example of this, okay? You'll recognize this guy on the left, Steve Jobs, founder of Apple. On the right is co-founder Steve Wozniak, both well-known. Apple computer, of course, not only has changed our lives with the iPhone and so many other innovations, but was the first company in the history of the world to break past a $1 trillion valuation, the value of the company. Now, you might be wondering, who's that third guy in the middle? Well, I'd like to introduce you to a gentleman named Ronald Wayne. Ronald Wayne owned 10% of Apple. And here's how this happened. When the Steves were in their early 20s, they were wild cards. They were unpredictable. They were visionary. They did not fill out spreadsheets or do taxes. And they knew they needed a grown-up in the room. And so Ronald Wayne, he was in his 40s, and they said, hey, we'll give you a big share of our company if you'll just kind of be the grown-up in the room. We need someone to like make sure that the bills get paid and do all the boring stuff while we're doing the visionary change the world stuff. So Ronald Wayne wrote up a contract, and the Steves signed it and agreed to it. And he got 10% of this startup company called Apple Computer in exchange for just being around as the grown-up in the room. Well, as he worked with the Steves, they were crazy and visionary, and he was like, I can't do this. You guys are out of control. I want out. And they were like, okay, fine. We'll find someone else to do all the boring stuff, but go ahead and keep your 10% of the company. He said, ah, he thought about it. And he actually, there's an interview where he describes this. He talked it over with his wife, and he thought, these guys are so kind of wild and unpredictable. I think their whole thing's going down. So I'm going to sell my 10% stake in Apple. So he sold his 10% stake for, get this, $800 for 10% of Apple. So uh, if you're doing the math in your head, now that Apple's worth more than a trillion, that 10% stake would be worth $100 billion. So that's 100 million times 10 times 100. Okay, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I give that to you as a practical example because it takes believing when something looks impossible. It takes faithfulness when it's a small thing. It takes perseverance when it's difficult to enjoy the benefit on the other side. And I hope you're hearing me right that what I'm not saying is if you're ever unfaithful or you're not serving or giving or praying that you lose your salvation and God doesn't love you. No, your salvation happens only when you repent before God and you say, God, I know I can't earn my way to heaven. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I receive your free gift of salvation. If you've never done that, you can do that today. And then, you know, for the rest of your life, you are in the family of God, not based on your behavior, but on Jesus behavior. And it's so important that you know that and that you know then that he loves you when you mess up. He loves you through all the seasons of life. But then as his son or daughter, 
you, you get this free will. And you get to decide, are you going to be like Zechariah and Elizabeth, faithfully serving, faithfully praying, not perfect, but consistent in the house of God, around the people of God, and then you get to see him do these big miracles. Or the other option is you kind of sit on the sidelines and you see the people where God's doing all the stuff. Why should you keep serving God and praying in the mix of your emotions, your lowest low? Maybe preparation for God's biggest breakthrough. That was the case for Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's the case for many people through scripture. I'll give you one example from the Bible. There was a young woman named Esther. Esther was physically beautiful, but more importantly, she had a beauty of character and of the will. And Esther lived at a time where God's people were more or less enslaved by the king of Persia, a guy named Xerxes. And Xerxes, he got mad at his queen one day, and he fired her, and he wanted a new queen. So he did like the original version of The Bachelor, and he like surveyed all the land for the most beautiful woman, and he ends up picking this girl, Esther. This girl, Esther, does not want to be his queen. She's Jewish. She's one of God's chosen people. She can't control her circumstances. She can't control that now she's forcibly married to this king who's a godless, evil dude. Well, one day, one of the advisors of King Xerxes says, we're going to wipe out the Jewish people. Pretty much they made me mad, and so we're going to do genocide and just kill them all. And Xerxes is like, okay, I'm about ready to sign the decree. Esther's Jewish, and she walks in, and she says, I'm Jewish. You can't do this. And God uses her. She was prepared for such a time as this used her faithfulness to believe that God had a plan for her life through a whole bunch of difficulty, and he used her to save a nation. Now, a couple thousand years later, he's going to use another faithful woman, Elizabeth, and her husband, Zechariah, and another faithful young woman, Mary, and he's going to use them to not just save a nation, but to save the world. And the point is this, your lowest low is likely preparing you for the big breakthroughs that God has for your life. I love this verse in Matthew 6. Jesus said this. He was talking about giving money to the poor, but doing it as an act of worship to God. That we give our time and we give our money, not out of shame or obligation or to buy God's favor, but out, uh, as an act of worship and love. He said, when you do that, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I just love this part that it says, who sees what is done in secret. Because when you really commit to, okay, God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you. I want to obey you with my life. There will be moments in secret that no one else knows about where you're choosing to forgive your spouse. You're choosing to be faithful. You're choosing to not just feed your kids, but to try to raise them to know and love God. You're showing up to serve. You're taking a meal to someone in your small group. You're trying to figure out what's my spiritual gift so I can use it because God created me to do something. You're showing up at work in the morning and it's dark outside and you're looking at a spreadsheet or whatever else, but you're praying for the people you work with. You're praying for the students in your classroom. It's those moments that no one else sees that faithfulness is proven. And I love it that Jesus tells us, your father in heaven, he sees you in those moments. He sees your will. He sees your heart. He knows it's not easy to choose him in those moments. And Jesus promises he will reward you. 
Sometimes we see that reward in this life, like Zachariah and Elizabeth did. Other times we'll see it in the next life. Very much like owning 10% of Apple back in the late 1970s or early 1980s, that did not seem like a big deal. Give it about 40 years and it's a huge deal. And it's the same in 40 years or 50 or 60 or 70, most of us are going to be in heaven. And you know what's a lot better than owning 10% of Apple? Being faithful in the kingdom of God. Because 40, 50, 70 years from now, you've got two options. You could be the richest person in the cemetery. Or you could be one of the richest people in eternity because you sought first the kingdom of God. With your time, your energy, your resources. Now, I promise this is my last reference to the University of Michigan Wolverines defeating the Ohio State Buckeyes for today. But here's a, a picture from that rivalry game after the Wolverines won. There were 120,000 people in that stadium that's called the Big House, and they rushed down onto the field. I marvel that nobody was injured, and it was just this immense celebration. And I was thinking as I was watching that, that you know what? It's the most faithful fans who are the most alive in this moment. It's the ones who kept believing when everyone else gave up. They're the ones who are the most alive right now. And the same for Zechariah and Elizabeth, that they kept believing and serving how alive they must have been when that angel showed up. And it'll be the same for you. Where what you're believing, the promises of God that you're claiming, or the way that you're still serving, you're going through that season where it's just loss after loss after loss, but you keep being faithful. Those are the people who are then so alive at the victory. I wonder where do you need to continue being faithful? Now, invite the Holy Spirit to answer that for you. I'm not here to fill in that blank, but the, that's why God has given you the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe for someone, it's your marriage. Maybe you started this message thinking like, I'm done. And God's telling you, hey, love the person because you love me, not because they're worthy. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's to a local church. I know we all have church hurt in our lives because people hurt us. But pick a Bible-believing local church that you say, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be there consistently. I'm going to serve and I'm going to give because I am going to obey God in the mix of emotions. Every great story has its moments when victory looks impossible. And your story in the kingdom of God will be no different. And the most important times are actually those lowest times when it's only a love for God and obedience to him that would keep you faithful. Elizabeth's lowest low prepared her for God's biggest breakthrough. And we'll look more at it next week, but I'm just going to give you a snapshot into it here in verse 39. At that time, Mary, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus. So the angel has appeared to her to say, you're going to have a baby who will be the Messiah. Mary is pretty much as soon as she hears that goes to Zechariah and Elizabeth's home. They are distant relatives and she's heard about the baby they're going to have and the promise from the angel that it would prepare the way for the Messiah. Verse 41, when Elizabeth, so think, I mean, imagine like an 80-year-old woman who's pregnant, and now here's like a teenage girl who's pregnant, but not as far along, and they're distant relatives. Mary shows up. As soon, uh, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby inside of Elizabeth leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Messiah should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I just, I just love that idea. You know, uh, when you see all the little kids in our church playing together, and sometimes you see a young pregnant mom, and the thought, you know, they can hear in there. It's muffled, I'm sure, and it, but they can hear, and they can hear the voices of the, the kids they're going to play with growing up. And I love it that John the baptizer leaps in his mother's womb in the presence of Jesus, and then listen to this, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. That's a word for you today. You're blessed by God when you believe God will fulfill his promises to you. There are promises you can claim, like Romans 8, where God says that he works all things together for your good as a follower of Jesus. Even the bad things, even the heartaches, even the broken relationships, even the disappointments. He's not the author of those things, but he will weave them all together in the end for good if you will keep loving him, obeying him, serving him, believing him. Claim his promises. Believe his promises to you. I wonder today, where do you need to keep believing? Where do you need to keep praying with a faith that believes God actually hears me and God is actually going to provide for me. When I read that about the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaping at the presence of Jesus in Mary's womb, it reminded me of this true story. True story called The Rescuing Hug. It happened in 1995. A pair of twins were born 12 weeks premature. Brielle and Kyrie Jackson. They each weighed about two pounds and they were placed into separate incubators because the, the thinking at the time was that if they're together, infection could get passed from one to the other. So it was normal practice to be placed in separate incubators. Well, about three weeks passed and the one was doing really well, but the other was declining. In fact, the other reached a point, a point of critical condition. Her little tiny heart rate was soaring. Her oxygen level was dropping. She started turning blue. And the nurses and doctors there knew, like, this is pretty much it. In a desperate move, a nurse named Gail Casparain decided to break all the rules of the hospital and the medical convention. And she took the baby that was strong out of her incubator. And she placed her in the incubator with the baby who was dying these twin sisters. The stronger one just innately, naturally put her arm around the weaker one. Once they snuggled up together, the nurses and doctors, they watched in amazement as the vital signs synced up. The weak one's heart started to mimic the heart rate of the strong one. Their breathing synced up. The one that was about to die stabilized. And over the following weeks, both fully recovered. And not only are those two girls alive today, but as a result, it has completely changed medical practice. If you have premature twins now, 
they'll put them in the same incubator because they've seen that, you know what, we need to be around other people. Sometimes you show up and you serve and you don't even realize that you just being there with a smile was God putting an arm around a person who was one breath away. Sometimes you show up at your small group and your schedule's crazy and you can hardly make it, but you don't even know that one of the couples there, their marriage was gonna end that day until you all got together as a small group. You just, you never know. You don't get to see it all in this life, but you just keep being faithful and you keep serving, believing the word of God and believing the promises of God and trusting that he's using you. I know for me, being a a lead pastor through these last 19 months of COVID, and I won't even name all the crazy things we all had to go through, but there were times where I just had to choose, God, I'm gonna keep serving because I love you. Not because of how I feel, not because of any circumstance, but because I love you. And for me, in those times where I have to serve my way through the mix of emotions, or pray my way through the mix of emotions, or believe my way through the mix of emotions, what helps me the most is to worship. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now, and we're just going to wrap this message up by giving you an opportunity to kind of declare with your soul that you're just going to serve God and believe him no matter what's going on in your life. I call it grit of the soul. A soul that just says, God, my emotions are all over the place. I don't understand, but I believe you, and I choose you, and I'm still going to worship you. So the song that has helped me the most in the last year to do that is this song called Raise a Hallelujah. Because hallelujah literally means in Hebrew, praise the Lord. Hallel means praise Yahweh, the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord in the middle of my storm. In the presence of my enemies, I'm going to praise the Lord. Whether your enemy is sickness, physical symptoms that the doctors can't figure out, broken relationships, going through a month where families are all reuniting and you see their pictures and you don't have a family to reunite with or a family that you can reunite with. Whatever enemy you're in the midst of, whatever storm you're in the midst of, just join me in saying, God, we're going to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth. We're just going to serve you faithfully. We're going to believe you no matter the mix of emotions. Let me pray that for you. Father, Lord, I just take the hands of my brothers and sisters and I pray that, God, I just pray that you'd put your arm around them in that rescuing hug. Restore faith. Renew hope. Revive souls. Redeem what's been broken in marriages and in families. Recuperate our emotions. Revitalize our faith. God, right now we just choose to follow Zachariah and Elizabeth by serving you and believing in you in the mix of emotions. And so that's why we declare, Lord, not just with our mouths, but with our souls, that we will sing a hallelujah, a praise the Lord in the middle of our storms. Meet us now in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name.